How are you doing today, everyone? Hopefully everybody's having a happy and blessed day on today. Today is a special episode of Trapped in the Bubble. I'm your host, Dr. Tim Apollocky. Today we are celebrating the life and legacy of Senator John McCain. Cindy and the McCain family, I am honored to be with you to offer my sympathies and to celebrate a great life. The nation joins your extraordinary family in grief and gratitude for John McCain. Some lives are so vivid, it's difficult to imagine them ended. Some voices are so vibrant and distinctive, it's hard to think of them stilled. A man who seldom rested is laid to rest, and his absence is tangible, like the silence after a mighty roar. The thing about John's life was the amazing sweep of it, from a tiny prison cell in Vietnam to the floor of the United States Senate. From troublemaking plebe presidential candidate. Wherever John passed throughout the world, people immediately knew there was a leader in their midst. In one epic life was written the courage and greatness of our country. For John and me, there was a personal journey, our hard-fought political history. Back in the day, he could frustrate me. And I know he'd say the same thing about me. But he also made me better. In recent years, we sometimes talk of that intense period like football players remembering a big game. In the process, rivalry melted away. In the end, I got to enjoy one of life's great gifts, the friendship of John McCain. And I'll miss it. Moments before my last debate ever with Senator John Kerry in Phoenix, I was trying to gather uh, some thoughts in the holding room. I felt a presence, opened my eyes, and six inches from my face was McCain, who yelled, relax, relax. John was, above all, a man with a code. He lived by a set of public virtues that brought strength and purpose to his life and to his country. He was courageous, with a courage that frightened his captors and inspired his countrymen. He was honest, no matter whom it offended. Presidents were not spared. He was honorable always recognizing that his opponents were still patriots and human beings. He loved freedom with the passion of a man who knew its absence. He respected the dignity inherent in every life, a dignity that does not stop at borders and cannot be erased by dictators. Perhaps above all, John detested the abuse of power, could not abide bigots and swaggering despots. 
There was something deep inside him that made him stand up for the little guy to speak for forgotten people in forgotten places. One friend from his Naval Academy days recalls how John, while a lowly plebe, reacted to seeing an upperclassman verbally abuse a steward. Against all tradition, he told the jerk to pick on someone his own size. It was a familiar refrain during six decades of service. Where does such strength and conviction come from? Perhaps from a family where honor was in the atmosphere. Or from the firsthand experience of cruelty, which left physical reminders that lasted his whole life. Or from some deep well of moral principle. Whatever the cause, it was this combination of courage and decency that defined John's calling and so closely paralleled the calling of his country. It's this combination of courage and decency that makes the American military something new in history, an unrivaled power for good. It's this combination of courage and decency that set America on a journey into the world to liberate death camps, to stand guard against extremism, and to work for the true peace that comes only with freedom. John felt these commitments in his bones. It is a tribute to his moral compass that dissidents and prisoners in so many places from Russia to North Korea to China knew that he was on their side. And I think their respect meant more to him than any medals and honors life could bring. The passion for fairness and justice extended to our own military. When a private was poorly equipped or a seaman was overworked in terrible conditions, John enjoyed nothing more than dressing down an admiral or a general. He remained the troublesome plebe to the end. Those in political power were not exempt. At various points throughout his long career, John confronted policies and practices that he believed were unworthy of his country. To the face of those in authority, John McCain would insist we are better than this. America is better than this. John, as he was the first to tell you, was not a perfect man, but he dedicated his life to national ideals that are as perfect as men and women have yet conceived. He was motivated by a vision of America carried ever forward, every up, ever upward, on the strength of its principles. He saw our country not only as a physical place or power, but as the carrier of enduring human aspirations, as an advocate for the oppressed, as a defender of the peace, as a promise, unwavering, undimmed, unequal. The strength of a democracy is renewed by reaffirming the principles on which it was founded. And America somehow has always found leaders who were up to that task, particularly at the time of greatest need. John was born to meet that kind of challenge, to defend and demonstrate the defining ideals of our nation. If we're ever tempted to forget who we are, to grow weary of our cause, John's voice will always come as a whisper over our shoulder. We are better than this. America is better than this. John was a restless soul. He really didn't glory in success or wallow in failure because he was always on to the next thing. Friends said he can't stay 
in the same experience. One of his books ended with the words, and I moved on. John has moved on. He would probably not want us to dwell on it, but we are better for his presence among us. The world is smaller for his departure, and we will remember him as he was, unwavering, undimmed, unequal. Obama. I, I have read about him, and he's not, he's not, he's a, um, he's an Arab. He is not, no? No, no ma'am, no ma'am. He's a, he's a, he's a decent family man, citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with. We are back with Senator John McCain. You know, Senator... That it resonated and still resonates. Uh, it was such an unusual thing to do during that time. Many people in your own party were not standing the, by the fact that Obama was who he was, that he was not born in Kenya, and that whole birth of nonsense. You stood up to that. To that. Uh, why are you so different from everybody else? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, could I just say thank you for having me on, on which I should have said earlier. Thank you for your kindness to my daughter. Thank you for the continued success that, that you all continue to have. And I'm honored to be on. I think the important thing about the dialogue in America today is it's lost respect for the views of our, those who disagree. And when someone says he's a Muslim and he wasn't born in, a, in America, you can't let that go. You, you just got to do what's, what's right. But it was let go, and that was the beginning of fake news. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You're exactly right, which, as you know, is a huge problem now. Every time we turn around, we find out about some more interference or attempt to interfere with our election. That's why I said what I said the other day, and that's why President Bush said what he had to say, and that's why President Obama had to say what he had to say. This has got to stop. We've got to be respectful of one another's views. Yeah. And, and have a dialogue that's based on truth and not on allegations and well, lies. And personal attacks. Yeah. It will be the personal attacks of what bothers you. Because I go to schools and I encourage young people to be involved in public office and public service. We all do, particularly with all the thing disasters and things that are going on in the world but also to be leaders yeah so if they're going to be attacked and maligned and their families attacked then it's hard to motivate them to do so and by the way this show is exciting it's fun but it's also respectful so thank yes. you for that thank you thank you we hear you are writing a memoir yes um and it's called the restless wave and apparently we can all read it in April, but can you give us just a sneak peek? Mm, it's about a, a young man who was unfocused and rebellious and almost got thrown out of the Naval Academy on numerous occasions. Who was able then to form, form his life to one of service, filled with mistakes, filled with errors, filled with uh, actions that I would not want to take again. For example, a flag down in the standing over the state capitol in South Carolina. 
which I ducked and so, Confederate flag. Confederate, yeah, Confederate mm -hmm. flag. Filled with errors, filled with problems, filled with mistakes, but at the end of the day, at least trying to serve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Senator, for me, uh, for me, that clip is one of not only your finest moments, but it's a it's a moment we've quoted so many times here about staying within the conversation because one of the problems we're seeing now is people aren't winning arguments; they're just opting out through negative and fake information fake information. Uh, what do you want people to remember about you? Because that's a moment I think none of us can forget. Mm -hmm. He served his country. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And he's, and he's proud of his family and his daughter, who is many so times nice. a real pain in the ass. <laughs> not this quiet. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you, because it's one of the things we've talked about, we got to have the luxury of spending so much time in Arizona together. You have had such a long career. Do you have any regrets? Have we got a couple hours? <laughs> uh, many, many regrets. But when you're in the arena and you try to do the right thing, many times you don't do the right thing, but you learn from it and you try to move on. I will never, ever get over the Confederate flag over the state capitol in South Carolina, okay? Mm -hmm. I'll never get over that. Yeah. And so you just got to do better the next time knowing that you have to learn from the things that you have done wrong. And every day I make a mistake, but every day I'm trying to do that for the country and not for John McCain. And many times that's not the case, mm. I'm sorry to say. Mm. Well, you're human. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? Well, Senator, we're gonna just sticking around for one more. Okay. 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 Good. All So tonight, I'd like to talk about the economy. I've dismissed my entire team of senior advisors. All of their positions will now be held by a man named Joe the Plumber. It began so long ago with a heralded arrival of a man known to Oprah Winfrey as the one. Being a friend and colleague of Barack, I just called him that one. mind at all. In fact, he even has a pet name for me, George Bush. I can't shake that feeling that some people here are pulling for me. I'm delighted to see you here tonight, Hillary. A copy of the Senator's comedy routine was left on the table this evening. 
And I have to confess, Your Eminence, I looked at it. <laughs> now, of course, it would be unfair and even a little unkind to put my opponent on the spot before he gets up here or to throw him off his game with unreasonably high expectations. <laughs> but I do need to warn you, ladies and gentlemen, you all are all out about to witness the funniest performance in the, in the 63 year history of this event. Let's not add to the mounting pressure he must be feeling. Just prepare yourself for nonstop hilarity. I think he knows that anything short of that would mar the evening, insult our hosts, and perhaps even cost him several swing states. Senator Obama, the microphone is all yours. It, it is an honor to be here uh, with Al Smith. Uh, I obviously never knew your great-grandfather, but from everything that Senator McCain has told me, uh, the two of them had a great time together before Prohibition. So. Many of you know that I got my name, Barack, from my father. Uh, what you may not know is Barack is actually Swahili for that one. And I got my middle name from somebody who obviously didn't think I'd ever run for president. Here's another revelation. Uh, John McCain is onto something. There was a point in my life when I started palling around with a pretty ugly crowd. I've got to be honest. Uh, these guys were serious deadbeats. They were lowlifes. They were unrepentant. No good punks. That's right. I've been a member of the United States Senate. <laughs> Come to think of it, John, I swear I saw you at one of our meetings. an emotional goodbye from Cindy McCain to her husband today is as her children looked on. Their daughter Megan, overcome as she walked past, final time, her father's flag-draped coffin. You can see it there. Right now, Arizonas are paying their final res uh, respect to the man who served them for more than three decades. I want to bring in CNN's Nick Watt. He was inside the room for this ceremony. Nick, emotional there, certainly for the family, and it seems for the Arizona public as well. Absolutely. Listen, Jim, they've actually started letting people in early to pay their respects. They've been standing in line in 102-degree heat for a few hours now. And, yeah, inside this morning in that service, it was intimate. It was emotional, as you mentioned. Megan McCain breaking down, clasping her brother Jimmy's hand. Cindy McCain... John McCain's wife of 38 years, stoic. I saw her dab away one tear, and as Governor Ducey described her husband as a fighter, she nodded in agreement. As the political world struggles to find words fit to honor him, the family of John McCain struggling with the loss of, above all else, a husband and father as memorials for the late senator begin. See our tears for our brother. Our father, our husband, our fellow citizen, our senator. The tireless senator from Arizona lying in state at Arizona's state capital on what would have been his 82nd birthday.
McCain meticulously planned his own funeral services designed to send a message of bipartisanship even after his death. In an attempt to put petty partisanship aside, McCain asked his two former presidential rivals to eulogize him at his funeral. John said that night, President Obama is now my president. So he healed the nation at a time he was hurt. Barack Obama and George W. Bush will speak at McCain's memorial service at Washington National Cathedral Saturday. Glaringly absent is President Trump. McCain did not want the president at his funeral. Trump criticized his service and his capture in Vietnam during the election. And McCain famously voted down Trump's attempts to repeal Obamacare. It took the president more than a day to respond to repeated calls to appropriately pay tribute to McCain. Why won't you call John McCain a hero, sir? And perhaps a final jab at the president, McCain asked a Russian dissident and Putin critic to be one of his pallbearers. Even in death, the senator from Arizona appealing to the better angels of our nature. John is probably the only politician who could get us to set aside politics and come together as a state and a nation, as we have. Governor Ducey also described the late Senator McCain as Arizona's favorite adopted son. And you can see that is true by the lines of people here to pay respects. There will be a funeral here tomorrow morning, and then the senator's body will be flown to Washington for a ceremony in the National Cathedral, and he will be buried on Sunday at the U.S. Naval Academy Cemetery in Annapolis, Maryland. Jim. And another chance for the public to view him here at the Capitol as well. Nick Watt there in Phoenix, Arizona. Washington honoring McCain on Saturday, where both President Obama and President Bush will deliver eulogies on Senator McCain's requests. Maybe not a so, so subtle message to President Trump, who McCain did not want there, but to a divided country as well. I want to bring in CNN's Jeff Zeleny. Je Jeff, interesting, because there's, there's not a lot of friendly history between McCain and both Bush and Obama. They were surprised by McCain's request to them? They were indeed, and that's one of the questions so many people had once this was announced. Uh, had President Obama in particular developed some type of a relationship with Senator McCain that we didn't uh, know about? So I talked to friends of both men. It turned out they really hadn't. But in April, President Obama received a phone call from Senator McCain. He said, I have a blunt question for you. Will you deliver a eulogy for me? Shortly after, he made the same phone call to George W. Bush. Uh, of course, these are two rivals, people, the two men who stopped McCain from winning the presidency. But it's all part of the uh, lesson and message Senator McCain is trying to uh, strip out. So I talked to several McCain advisors, including Steve Dupree, who is uh, a longtime aide and friend of Senator McCain's. And he explained it like this. He said, I think John McCain is imparting a lesson in civility by asking the two men who defeated him to speak as an example to America that differences in political views and contests shouldn't be so important. He goes on to say that we lose our common bounds and the civility that is or used to be a hallmark of American democracy. So that is something clear. Senator McCain trying to give a message here certainly unspoken, but President Trump is the intended recipient. Right, and, and overcoming past differences here, because with no Obama, for instance, specifically, even before they ran against each other, there, there was some occasional tension. A lot of tension. And there were generational differences. I mean, when uh, President Obama, Senator Obama, arrived in the Senate in 2005, I was covering him then at the time, and boy, they fought over a lot of things. Senator McCain did not necessarily respect 
the idea of him running for office, that he thought he was ready to be president. I was going back to look at some of those old campaign uh, clips over 2008. Take a look at this clip that Senator McCain said in 2008 about Senator Obama. He said, I don't seek the presidency on the presumption that I am blessed with such personal greatness that history has anointed me to save my country in its hour of need. Searing, sarcastic, classic John McCain. Yet, he wants President Obama to be delivering a eulogy uh, for him. And it is a sense that he is trying to leave this, again, this uh, final message, and also perhaps trying to rewrite a bit of history, what Senator McCain's own role was in what has now become this, you know, rather cantankerous, uh, loud Republican Party. No question. And, and just for everybody involved, right, a, a message that despite differences, you can overcome them. And, and here's my way of highlighting that point uh, in, in, after death, sadly. Uh, Jeff Zeleny, thanks very much. John's beloved family, Mrs. McCain, to Cindy and McCain children, President Mrs. Bush, President Secretary Clinton, Vice President Mrs. Biden, Vice President Ms. Cheney, Vice President Gore, and as John would say, my friends, we come to celebrate extraordinary man, a warrior, a statesman, a patriot, embodied so much that is best in America. President Bush and I are among the fortunate few who competed against John at the highest levels of politics. He made us better presidents just as he made the Senate better, just as he made this country better. So for someone like John to ask you, while he's still alive, to stand and speak of him when he's gone is a precious and singular honor. Now, when John called me with that request earlier this year, I'll admit sadness, and also a certain surprise. But after our conversation ended, I realized how well it captured some of John's essential qualities. To start with, John liked being unpredictable, even a little contrarian. He had no interest in conforming to some 12 years in the Senate, a career politician. What has Senator Claire McCaskill done for us? McCaskill voted for Obamacare, which raised our prices. Now she's trying to block more affordable health plans. D.C. changed Claire McCaskill. It's time to change our senator. Just in time to plunge into the lake below. 
that pilot, a young John McCain, was taken hostage as a prisoner of war, where he spent more than five and a half years, almost 2,000 days, he would endure countless beatings, torture, solitary confinement, and mental and emotional anguish that none of us will ever have to endure. After getting to know Senator McCain, I felt compelled to visit Vietnam. I wanted to see the places where the will of John McCain was tested and forged. I saw the lake. I walked the steps. I sat in the cell. And the ordeal that my friends survived became all the more real. Many people might wonder what a young African-American kid from Minnesota and a highly decorated Vietnam War hero turned United States Senator might have in common. Well, I, I, I thought of a few. I'm black, he was white. I'm young, he wasn't so young. He lived with physical limitations brought on by war. I'm a professional athlete. He ran for president, I run out of bounds. He was the epitome of toughness, and I do everything I can to avoid contact. at the time of statehood, then from 1927 to 1969, Carl Hayden. And we're seeing the senator being brought in right now. Uh, we will have the invocation coming up, but uh, right now, again, everyone stands and uh, pays the respect as we saw along the entire route, that whole procession route from the state capitol grounds, and now the final location for now. Yeah, as we go along, uh, you can kind of talk us through this too, Art. Yeah, it, it was interesting. Uh, it was a very solemn uh, uh, entrance you might have seen uh, on television. Uh, you had one... Don Brandt, uh, a variety of Don Brandt from APS and others. Uh, Bob Delgado from the Hansley Company is very close to the family. Uh, actually, even 